studying inflation, seeing where interest rate expectations are, we've positioned ourselves accordingly to take advantage of the market kind of being caught off sides here. So we've very much been expecting higher for longer rates. Welcome to the Trusted Partner Podcast, hosted by Jesse Kramer and Gabe Chodak. Jesse and Gabe are relationship managers at Cobblestone Capital Advisors, a comprehensive wealth management firm that serves families and individuals in all aspects of their financial lives. All opinions expressed by Jesse and Gabe or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Cobblestone Capital Advisors. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Cobblestone Capital Advisors may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. We want to hear from you. Send us an email with questions, suggestions, or content ideas to our email address, podcasts at cobblestonecap.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Trusted Partner Podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Welcome to episode 29 of the Trusted Partner Podcast. Today we're bringing back a fan favorite, Charlie Ruff, a senior portfolio manager from Cobblestone's investments team. Based on some questions we've been hearing from you listeners, especially over the last few weeks, we're going to ask Charlie to expand on some topics currently in the news. The big one's inflation and interest rates. What's the latest? Where are we going? And what, if anything, should prudent investors be doing about it? We also dive into some more recent headlines, mainly the ramifications of a potential federal government shutdown and a deep dive on why oil prices continue to rise and what that means for consumers, investors, and companies. Without further ado, let's dive right into episode 29 of the Trusted Partner Podcast with Charlie Ruff. So if you look back at the, the all-time high, or sorry, the, the most recent peak was in July. We're 5.5% below that before today's open. So we'll see what the market does today. From the all-time high, which was the end of 2021, we're ten percent below that. Are you talking all indices or just S and P five hundred? Right. I mean, and, and if you look at a ten year number, it's returned twelve and a half percent a year, which is way above crazy. historical trends. It's been incredibly strong. So you have this; it's absolutely amazing. And then you have this little sell off. And if you watch every single tick down, that feels really negative. But you need to step back and look at the big picture. Right. And you have, I mean, you have bonds returning, you know, five plus percent, depending on where they're invested, right? You have the 10 year treasury at four and a half percent. You're getting close to five or over five on money markets or high yield savings. So it's not all bad, but there's a lot of economic news. And this is what go back to John Jennings episode. We as humans, we kind of live in fear and we need certainty and there's a lot of uncertainty right now. There's, you know, the Fed and Charlie, we can dig more in on that. Um, and they're kind of higher rates for longer peace. And there's a potential government shutdown. There's still a war waging in a large part of the world. There, There's a, a lot of strikes too going on, which have economic impacts and we can talk about those. And so there's, there's a lot but there's always a lot, right? When when have we ever looked and said, hey, everything looks so rosy, everything's great in the world, and all the way down to a local level, and the economy is just going to rip? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think one thing you touched on there, Gabe, an important thing to remind investors, it might be too late for it now, but but you know, if you look at the last 10 years, Charlie, you said, what, 12% per year, this amazing bull market. It's important during those bull markets to remind investors that this won't last forever. And, and we know that bad times are going to come. We know that even during that 10-year period, there were inter-year drops, right? There's There are always going to be times where the market drops. Last year. <laughs> 8, 10, 12% inter-year, even if it finishes up. And then, right, eventually we get to with something like last year, which is just straight up. You know, stock market was down 22% on the year, something like that. Um, so it's I think it's important during the good times to remind investors that, hey, this doesn't last forever. Part of, especially if you're invested in stocks, is is writing those bad times out and holding for the long term. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we're not just on a roller coaster writing things up and down. We we have an outlook, we see what's going on and 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 it's not just understanding what the market's doing, but why. And so that that reason why is really important to us. And so that that ties into the Fed and inflation. And so when we see this little sell-off that we've had from the all-time highs in July and um certainly from the from the highs in July and from the all-time highs at the end of 2021. I keep mixing those up. Um, it, it really comes back to where expectations are with interest rates and inflation. So higher interest rates ultimately slow down the economy for a couple reasons. You have companies that have to pay more to borrow money. Mortgages are more expensive. Car payments are more expensive. And even investor behavior starts to change. Why should I buy stocks? if I can buy a CD or put the money in a savings account or just a treasury bond to get five to 6%, like that's a really good deal. So people will stop buying stocks. So things will start to slow down with higher interest rates. If we rewind the clock back to January, 2023, at the start of this year, the Federal Reserve was at four and a half percent. And the expectation was that the Fed was going to hike to about 4.9% in June and then start cutting rates. That was the expectation at the start of this year. Uh, we went through multiple bank failures. <laughs> the war in Ukraine continues on. And today, the Fed is at uh, 5.5%. So a whole interest rate, uh, a whole point higher than we were at the start of the year. And the expectation is that the Fed stops hiking in January of 2024 at 5.4%. So rates are 50 basis points higher. Uh, for the the end rate from 4.9 to 5.4, and it's seven months longer. That peak keeps getting delayed further into the future. So this is that higher for longer expectation that people keep throwing out there. And this is something that we've been anticipating at Cobblestone. So we've positioned our fixed income strategies accordingly. We have, you know, studying inflation, seeing where interest rate expectations are, we've positioned ourselves accordingly to take advantage of the market kind of being caught off sides here. So we've very much been expecting higher for longer rates. Market behavior really is a function of expectations. Yes. And that whenever we see some sort of sudden short-term shift, whether it's in the bond market, the stock market, a lot of times it can be explained by the fact that the market's held some sort of expectation for a long period of time, and recent news really you know, shattered that expectation in some way. Right. And, and sometimes that kind of bad news for markets 
means that it's good news for the economy. And and if you're trying to slow down inflation and you still have an economy that's ripping, well, it just means that the Fed is going to continue to react to that. And it means that these hikes are not done or we're not at this point where rates are coming down. And that's what markets are ultimately sensitive to. Yeah, I guess. So So one of the things that we're starting to see now with this higher for longer with interest rates is part of the, the drive behind that is that the Fed isn't just hiking these interest rates for fun. They're doing this because they're trying to slow down inflation. And inflation has been stubbornly high, and we think it might continue to be stubbornly high. Two of the big things we're watching right now are oil prices, which we see every time we fill up our gas tanks, except for Gabe with his Tesla. And uh, the other thing is the labor market. You know, we, we had the big three are on strike in Detroit. Uh, we have pilots. Uh, the writers were on strike. They came off strike. UPS drivers are making $170,000 a year or whatever. And this really, you know, ultimately this is the U.S. economy overinvested in sending people to finger painting college and underinvested in trades and actual jobs. But this adjustment is painful, and that's just going to put upward pressure on prices across the board. And so we think that inflation could be stubbornly high for, for a little while. Will it be 10% a year? We're not expecting that. But uh, we think it could be stubbornly high for a little while here, which means interest rates, to, to fight that inflation, interest rates are going to have to be higher for longer. Right. And, and that is a, you know, we go back and go back to that 10-year number of you know, 12% annualized returns. And you see this situation where the American worker is saying, well, where's, where's my cut, right? Whereas we're seeing corporate profits through the roof. We're seeing you know, compensation packages through the roof. And now it's kind of how do companies thread this needle of maintaining high profits while also meeting worker demand. And, and that's going to be really difficult. And that can, bottom line, impact corporate profits, which will impact market prices. If inflation were to stay stubbornly high, if interest rates stay high, or maybe even are, are, are raised even higher to fight this, from the investor's point of view, from say, whether it's just an investor listening to this podcast, whether it's a client listening to this podcast, I mean, what do we do about this situation inside our portfolios? Sell. So. Sell everything. No, no. So that, that's a really good question. And I don't want to be flippant or gloss over what we see ahead because we see it too. Short term, we had a number of tailwinds that have switched to headwinds. We have, again, I touched on high oil prices that, that cuts into everybody's paycheck. Student loan payments are coming due. The government is about to shut down, it looks like. Uh, the savings that people had built up through the pandemic, those are largely gone. And so this is a more difficult backdrop for the U.S. consumer. Is it a flashing red light that says, you know, we're about to go over the cliff? No, but these are, these are notable headwinds. We, we, we know market timing is a, a, a fool's errand, so we really focus on building durable allocations over time. And this is, you know, a heavy-duty, all-weather portfolio that's going to be able to get through anything. And that goes beyond just stocks. Everybody always thinks about just, what do I do with my stocks? Well, you have other components of your portfolio, too, that should be working as well. You know, in our, our, our 
the bond strategies, we focus on high quality, investment grade, alternatives, offer very strong diversification. And on that equity side, you know, we, we have five CFAs and five CFPs here. We have a deep, and not to count the juniors and the associates, we have a deep investment team and we use them. We look for established businesses with good balance sheets and ultimately high quality equities that are going to make it through any market cycle. So staying invested, staying comfortable through a rough patch is absolutely important. This also comes back to a true goals-based investing framework led by proper financial planning. You should know what expenses you have or be prepared for those intermediate and short-term expenses, and those should be immunized within portfolios, especially when you're actually getting something for cash positions at this point. You should understand the role of equities and more volatile um, you know, investments within your portfolio and understand the time horizon on those. And if that's not appropriate, then that necessitates change. Um, but if those are, if the things in your portfolio that are meant to be higher risk because they're longer term are volatile, then that's kind of them doing what they're supposed to do over a short period of time. And you are rewarded for that over longer periods of time. I really like the way you phrased that because at no point did you discuss the price level of equities or what the performance was in the last month. Very much focused on what your goals are as an investor and what's appropriate for you. Yeah. How do we balance, Gabe, what you were just saying about you know goals-based investing, it's a function of timeline for the, the specific unique investor's goals. And then, Charlie, you were talking earlier about inflation. And, and we know that inflation isn't necessarily an investor's friend always. Uh, but we also know that some assets tend to be more affected by inflation. Other assets, at least historically, we have this track record of they're either um, maybe they, they, they rise with inflation and they're not quite as uh, affected or they even provide real returns above and beyond inflation. So can we talk a little bit more about that? So managing inflation within a portfolio is definitely something we spend a tremendous amount of time on. And it's difficult because year in, year out, it's always a little bit different. I would say the, 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 of the three legs on a typical cobblestone portfolio stool, the one that is the best position for inflation is our alternatives. These are uncorrelated with the market. Many of them are positioned extremely well to perform well, regardless of where inflation goes. These are real assets, things of that nature. Fixed income is probably the most challenged, not just at Cobblestone, but anywhere, mm -hmm. because it's just a, a, con a contracted uh, schedule of cash flows that do not adjust for inflation. So fixed income is probably the most at risk of losing that purchasing power over time. And then equities are well positioned, but in a given year or month or even two years, you don't really know if they're going to, if inflation goes up, equities might not necessarily go up, right? It takes time for this to work through. And ultimately, that's because these businesses will pass along that pricing to their customers. They can adjust. They will adjust their costs. They will adjust their prices, and they will ultimately maintain their margin where they'll go out of business. And that's really where we differentiate ourselves as a firm is when we do look to buy equities, we go for high quality companies that have pricing power. 
these are the companies that can pass that pricing power along. You know, think about your, your average day. Certain businesses, if they raise their prices, you might grumble, but you pay it anyways. Other businesses, if they raise their prices, you buy less or you don't buy at all. And so we want to own those businesses where if they raise their prices, you don't really have much of a choice. You're going to keep on paying it. So that's, uh, that's really where we focus on. And those are the kind of businesses that over, over a market cycle, they're going to do just fine with inflation. I want to go back to oil, talk a little bit of oil, just because it's, again, I, I know we, we talk about all of these items and what's going on in economic headlines, and then we say ignore them when it comes to making adjustments to <laughs> yeah, your <right>. portfolio. <laughs> but it, it still is important to understand what is happening within a global economy and in American economy, because at least then you can be comfortable knowing that this is a market reaction to these things going on and they will subside at some point or they will change or we don't know, right? Like, I mean, Saudi Arabia tomorrow could announce that they're going to reduce the cuts that they've already have put in place, probably not going to happen, but who knows what's going on behind closed doors and could happen. And then you see oil drop significantly, and that is a huge impact on markets. And so understand at least what factors are in play within all of these larger economic topics is important for investors to understand. No, you're right. It's uh, uh it is uh over the whole cycle we want to ignore some of these headlines, but it ultimately we need to understand what's happening with with this space. And in terms of, you know, how we position our portfolios internally, we do need to have an outlook on inflation. We do need to have to understand what's happening in the oil market. So we do watch this stuff. Uh, as a quick aside, we could totally do a podcast just on oil sometime. Which I would be it. cool. Yeah. That'd be interesting. That'd and be if, cool. and if you are, right, if you're out there managing your portfolio or working with someone that's saying, hey, this is happening in the oil markets, we believe this happens next, so we're making this adjustment to your portfolio, you should, you know, one, ask lots of questions yeah. about why. <laughs> what's going um, on. But yeah. you should also at least understand and be knowledgeable about what they're what is being discussed and so you have a rudimentary understanding and don't make some horrific decision so right now with the oil market there's kind of there's a couple different variables that are happening concurrently at different stages but we'll kind of walk through so i have there's kind of four trends that are happening right now that are affecting the oil market, as we'll see. So one, the first one that I'll touch on is pretty well understood at this point, and that is U.S. shale. In the prior years, U.S. shales were just an absolute growth engine. They were, they lowered their costs. They were, you know, the, the Saudis and the Russians, OPEC, they were losing sleep because of how much oil we were pumping and the prices at which we were able to pump it. That was a function of innovation in the oil patch and also low interest rates because these companies could finance their operations for nothing. That's over. Right. These, these companies are running for cash flow now and the shale, the, some of the best wells are starting to be exhausted. And so shale 
it's still there. It's still it's still a strong engine for oil production, but its growth is starting. We're starting to see the end of that exponential growth that we had for a number of years. Right. Ex- expansion in oil production is pretty capital intense. Yes. Correct. Yeah. So higher rates. Yeah. Is gonna, higher capital it, As well as, and I'm sure this is, uh, I'll bury the lead here, but forecasted demand, right? And if you have less demand forecasted over the next 10 years because of electric vehicles becoming more prominent, then companies are just not going to make the investments to expand operations and make that capital investment that they may not see. Yep. Yeah. So so the shale has uh, become was a huge source of supply and it still is but it's less so so maybe a little bit of upward pressure on oil prices is the the you know the realities the ge- geological realities of shale set in the other thing that is a huge driver is the US economy the US economy has continued to be stronger than expected that's a big put that that's a big um source of demand in the global oil market. So that's a little bit of upward pressure on oil prices from the US economy continuing to be strong. China is a wild card. They have been muddling along. They, you know, COVID zero went away. They reopened. You saw a bit of increase, but you didn't have the big reopening trade that we had in the US where we all went gangbusters. So China has been, um, if they really reaccelerate, they really stimulate their economy, that's if, I don't know if they will, that's another source of potential demand. So that's, that kind of remains out there as a catalyst that we're waiting to see. And then the big one, China and or, uh, the Saudis and Russia, OPEC and Russia, they've surprised the markets before when they did a surprise cut in uh, 2020, right before COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, the Saudis and the Russians were at odds and just said, you know, forget you, I'm gonna flood the market and take market share. Right now, they've been cutting back on production, trying to boost that oil price. So will they continue doing that? Boy, it, it who knows? It, there's not much of an edge you can get there, but that's also putting upward pressure on this oil price. So you, you, of those of those four, the four uh, variables that I mentioned, shale, U.S. demand, Chinese demand, Saudis and Russians with their cuts, you have three of four that are pushing the oil prices upwards by restricting supply or boosting demand. And then you have China, which is still off on the side, which could be another source of major demand. And maybe that provides another leg up in the oil market. So what this means is inflation stays higher, right? Oil, oil price drives inflation. Because well, it drives part of inflation, it, right? It, well, it yeah. Does. I mean, it's not all of inflation, but if you're like the so, why should I care about oil as an investor? It's because that's going. That's a large thing that's going to buoy inflation yeah. um, and force it from coming coming down. Right. If, if you have, because you think about the consumer, right? There's there's two parts to this. You think about the American consumer or global consumer. If you're now spending ninety dollars to fill up your tank versus you know sixty, that is impacting other items that you buy. 
Um, it also will probably impact your travel, right? You may not go on that road trip, which then impacts tourism, impacts hospitality, um, impacts all the stops along the, that road trip. So that's the one impact. The second is every single, well, not every single, but think of most companies and how they get their goods and services around the world. Um, if it's more to ship because oil prices are higher, right? UPS isn't absorbing that cost. They're going to pass that on. So if you're shipping out your product or if you are, even you have a fleet and you are sending things out, guess what? That's now more expensive. And so companies aren't going to just absorb those higher oil prices. They are factoring that that into their pricing. So sell Dunkin' Donuts by Netflix? If you if you look at so there's two two takeaways there you're you're absolutely right Gabe if you look at trucking um, a couple different ways to that that's measured but I would say about seventy to seventy five percent of goods in this country that are sold at some point are on a truck oil is a big has a multiplier effect as it trickles through and you know costs get passed along it's not just what we spend at the pump it's everything else that shows up in the uh, on the price of the goods we buy. But if you look back historically, um, as a percentage of, as a per, like energy costs as a percentage of GDP, because we're, we're richer now than we were in the 70s when we had those oil shocks, right? Mm-hmm. There, maybe you saw this as like 10 to 12% of GDP was going towards energy. And now we might be around five, 5% towards energy. And that, that, that's probably more all-encompassing. You know, it's not just gasoline. Uh, there, there's other energy costs in there. But the point is that our economy is better equipped to handle this. I don't think it negates the importance of following oil prices or the impact oil prices can have. But it's good to remember that we are not so beholden to oil prices as we were in the 1970s. So anybody remembering, you know, from, you know, Iran and that oil embargo... Uh, we're we're not as uh, we're we're not going back to that anytime soon. And this is not me proselytizing on electric vehicles um, because at the end of the day I could take it or leave it. But it is just overall the importance of innovation, right? The importance of innovation for world economies and developing alternatives to oil and gas when you are truly beholden to a couple countries around the world, that's what makes business business is innovation. Right. Innovation grows the pie, right? Like the economic pie. There there are some people out there who kind of, they look at the stock market as a giant Ponzi scheme because they say like, well, where's it all coming from? What what do you mean? What do you mean the the economy of the world grows? Like, I, I don't get it, they say. And all you have to do is point out the fact that, well, a thousand years ago, we were all subsistence farmers, you know, working as serfs beneath someone's castle and then point them to today and and show how the economy grows over time. And it grows because of innovation. That's why I'm such a bull on our country, where if you have you seen that graphic where it's the top 10 or 15 companies in the U.S.? Yeah, yeah, twenty yeah, years yeah. ago, right, right. How and it then, changes over time, and, and, and how it changes over time, GE and, and in, for a long time, and in Europe, yeah. in Europe, it's the same companies. Uh-huh. There's been like pretty much no turnover. It's still Total and all, like all of them, and in the U.S., it's a completely new lineup. Right, and and this is where right you can, I think, 
we as American investors let a lot of our politics drive our thinking on whether we're bulls or bears in the moment. But look at in American innovation over the last century, over the last 50 years, over the last 20 years, right? There's been different makeups of Congress, different presidents, um, different issues that the country and the world have had to deal with. And at the end of the day, we have innovated and we are an unbelievable country for that. Yeah. Do you actually know the the, the correlation between uh, which party is in a presidential office, which party controls Congress and the stock market? Do you know like the zero. correlation? Yeah. Correct. <laughs> there's just, there's literally, it's, it's, it's 50-50. Like the, the data is so close to even, it doesn't matter. I think the only the only real uh, correlation is at least that if uh, Congress is controlled by the same party that the president is, and they can work together to pass bills, then uh, the market actually does perform a little bit better. Hmm. But other than that, but it doesn't care what party. It care it's more it's just unified. Democrats are, uh, right. It cares about the unification. But other than that, there's really no there's really no pattern because. I think as you were saying, Gabe, like people still want to work hard, still want to innovate. That's going to happen no matter who's and, in and, charge. And we do. I mean, we have, again, you can be cynical about this, but at the end of the day, we have a, a system in place that rewards innovation, that rewards um, entrepreneurial spirit. And, you know, obviously there's varying degrees of that and varying tax structures, but at the end of the day, relative to the rest of the world, we have a pretty good thing going. Don't don't overdo it because we do own international stock. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the so now that we're so positive on America, let's talk real quick government shutdown. I know um, uh, because this is something that obviously is going to play a, a large role in headlines this week. Um, and what happens historically? to markets when when we see a government shutdown? uh, It's really just short-term volatility. There really hasn't been any lasting damage. It's typically a couple days and people come around. The worst one we had uh, in terms of duration was 2018, when it was a little over 30 days. I think around 30 days, the government was shut down. Um, That was a tough one. That was was bad, Uh, but this one, I don't know if this one will be that long. It, who knows what is going on in Congress, but Not they're typically typically I, I there are a couple of days. It'll shut down mm-hmm. on Saturday, and by Tuesday they got a deal or something like that, right? It, th- these are measured in days because um, you know what could be less popular for people who ultimately have to you know face a popularity contest every two years and win re-election. What could make you less popular than cutting off hardworking families and yeah. civil servants? So, and right, if the government shuts down, certain things still operate, but pay can be delayed. Obviously, that becomes oh, retroactive. You, you know whose pay is not delayed? Congress. Yeah. So fascinating. Right? <laughs> I, I can't. Uh, I I just can't imagine how amazing. that would happen. That is a um, a perfect example of incentives not being aligned yes yeah but the armed forces yeah they can wait in in line right and and so this does go back to a a financial planning piece right there are hundreds of thousands of government workers this is where having that emergency savings is really important having uh, a plan knowing that while you may have a pretty 
stable job long term, there can be some volatility that you're going to have to deal with in terms of cash flow and, and yeah. plan accordingly. The, the good news, so again, it's typically days and hopefully that doesn't affect anybody. But no, having an emergency fund is so important because you think back to 2018, it was a little over a month with, with no income if you're a family. That's, that's a difficult setup. The one thing I would say, if, if anybody does work for the government, is if you remember back to 2018, a lot of uh, companies and groups kind of stepped up and offered a lot. They, un- they saw what was going on, and they knew it wasn't anybody's, any individual's fault except for Congress's. Uh, and so you saw Verizon saying, okay, like we're not going to bill you. You know, we're not going to, if you work for the government, we're not going to bill you. Mm-hmm. A lot of banks were saying, okay, we'll roll over your mortgage balance, like pay us next month. It's mm-hmm. fine. And so that flexibility is nice to see that people are more understanding and uh, generally people can come to a consensus, unlike Congress. So if anybody does work for the government, I would say take advantage of that. But it, this really does highlight the importance of having an emergency fund. I'm fairly certain Social Security payments would be delayed if the government stayed shut down during the period that you'd expect to receive your payment. Uh, Medicare, Medicaid payments could be paused. Uh, Bond repayments would be paused during that time. Uh, But all these things are so unpopular, right? I mean, if you don't get your Social Security check, that is so unpopular that the the other side of the sword, the reason why it's a double-edged sword, is that that's going to push Congress into doing something about it and and passing uh, passing a budget that they then can work off of. Have your emergency fund, and then after that runs dry, sharpen your pitchfork. <laughs> right. I don't really know what to right. tell you. Start lighting the torches. <laughs> right, yeah. Definitely thought you were going to say pencil there. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> was not expecting Charlie to, <laughs> to take to the streets. <laughs> yeah. Before we go into full riot mode, uh, let's go around the circle here. Before the episode, we were talking about some fun updates on the home front from the last week or two. So, uh, Charlie, why don't you start us off? What what cool stuff happened this past weekend for you? So uh, this past weekend was the Rochester Half Marathon, oh. which is a great event. They do an awesome job. It's really fun. You run right through the city and see some really cool neighborhoods on the way and along the river which you forget about how nice that river is. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. It, there's no development along it. It's, right, it's right. hysterical, but beautiful race. At the end, they'd had a kid's half mile, okay. which was really fun. So my, my six-year-old daughter did that, and they have them finish like right through the big tunnel with the big finish line and everybody cheering and music and everything. And that was an absolute blast. She had so much fun doing it and being part of it. And that was a really cool thing, seeing the young kids getting involved in an event like that. So nice. that, was a, that was a highlight of this past weekend. Yeah. So, yeah, so exciting thing in the Chodak household. Um, we have an 18-year-old Israeli um, who has come from Rochester's sister city, Modi'in, in Israel. He is living with us for the next four and a half months. There's this great program um, put on by the Jewish Federation where four Shin Shinim um, come over. Um, they defer their military service for a year after graduation, and they volunteer and create programming and work within the Rochester community, both Jewish and secular aspects of it. And so they're really busy um, doing lots of great work within the community. 
Um, but yeah, we have one staying with us for four and a half months and it's been a, a real pleasure so far. I'm sure he'll get sick of us at some point or at least of me. Um, but it, it's been really enlightening, um, selfishly great experience for us and the kids. And, um, we're actually a couple weekends, we're taking him to New York city. So that'll be really cool to see his, uh, see his reaction to that. How about you, Jesse? Yeah. A little thing. I mean, you, you guys went to know Ireland. So yeah, went to Ireland. Ireland was great. We had a great time. Um, saw a lot of beautiful, beautiful countryside and, and great people and cool culture. And one thing I wrote about on, on my blog is just that, you know, traveling really is just an opportunity to see new cultures, learn from new cultures, gain some gratitude for some good things in your own life, but then also gain perspective on things that you could be doing differently or that other people do differently. So that was awesome. Um, now we're back home, and, and a little thing on the home front from the past weekend was we got two new foster puppies. So they're numbers 26 and 27 that we've had come through our household over the last three years. Uh, they're golden doodles, brother and sister. The whole litter was named after flowers, so the girl is Poppy, and the boy is Aster, which maybe is a type of flower. I don't know. But either Should way, they're... They're fun. They're fun to have around, and uh, it's a good time. We're all having. Please a good don't time. send a picture of them to my children. <laughs> it is a flower. Yeah, it's like a purple flower. Oh, okay. Those little ones. You've seen those. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like little purple daisies. Yeah. There you go. I know those. The more you know. And listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Trusted Partner Podcast. We want to start answering some of your questions on the show. So if you have an investing, a financial planning, a personal finance question, send that question to podcast at cobblestonecap.com. Once again, that's podcast at cobblestonecap.com. Thank you again for listening to the Trusted Partner Podcast.